This is Linux Unplugged, episode 43 for June 3rd, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that has that fresh, minty flavor. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. So we're going to talk about Linux Mint 17 today. It was a release that came out over the weekend. And uh, it's an interesting release because this one is the version that will be supported until 2016. And technically, it'll be continue to get updates until 2019. Wow. Yeah. So that's a huge, like, they're going to base and continue to push, like, all new versions of Linux Mint until 2016 off this platform. So this, is a, this is maybe the biggest release they've ever had. I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe overstated. It might not be, actually. It, it feels that way. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, and so I've had it running here. I've also been trying out Cinnamon on some of my Arch boxes, and the Mumble Room's got it installed, so we'll talk with those guys about it. And then also, if we have time after that, and I think we probably will, <clears throat> Matt wrote up an article on Datamation about you know, essentially asking, are Ubuntu derivatives possibly a bad thing? And Aaron Saigo on Google Plus today asked the question, what has Mint accomplished in, you know, in terms of furthering desktop adoption and things like that? And the two questions are kind of being raised at the same time. Both are valid points, and I think we'll have a conversation around that. And then last but not least, developers have been complaining about something that I hold dearly on the desktop, and that's OpenGL. And I, I feel like this is one of those cases where oh, sometimes developers just complain and complain and complain, and they jump on a bandwagon where they're not fully informed on a topic, and then it just turns into a giant circle jerk. And right now, OpenGL's in the crosshairs of apparently every developer out there. So if we have time, we'll get to that towards the end of the show. But Matt, I want to start with some feedback. we got something kind of neat going on. This is more of an FYI heads up uh, for folks in the Jupiter Broadcasting community. Uh, if you're going to Southeast Linux Fest, we have a thread in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit where we'd like you to check in. Uh, our crew is going to be down there, Q5Sys and Noah and uh, some others. I don't know who all is going officially. I think Blaster might be going too and a few others. Nice. And they'll be taking uh, you know interviews and getting clips for Jupiter Broadcasting shows at Southeast Linux Fest. So if you're going to go and want to meet up with the guys and... Uh, and uh, say hi. Go over to the uh, linuxactionshow.reddit.com subreddit and uh, check in in the Southeast Linux Fest 2014 sign-in sheet. That way uh, they can kind of coordinate. That's how they're kind of getting everything put together. So that should be fun. I kind of wish I was going. Uh, we won't be making it to that one ourselves. Uh, Matt and I, uh, uh, we had a good time at Linux Fest, but uh, we can only go to so many in a year. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So true. Okay, Matt. So speaking of uh, Linux Fest. Jared writes in about Texas Linux Fest. He says, hey, Chris and Matt, I'll soon be attending my first Linux Fest right here in Austin. After watching your coverage up north, I decided to look for one near me. I'm new to the Linux fun, and I want to have the most enjoyable time possible while I go. My brother and father will be along for the ride, as I've come from a long line of thinkers. <laughs> Please check out the link right. if you have some time, and let me know of any recommendations on talks. Additionally, I just started watching a few months ago, and I'm hooked on the Jupiter Broadcasting Program. I mean, this network is a real treat. Thank you. And he said uh, he's uh, got his four-year-old daughter on Edubuntu for her first machine, and it totally rocks. So let's go take a look over at uh, TexasLinuxFest.org, uh, and they have it in uh, slash content slash event dash schedule. And I'm looking at this right now. 
Uh, this looks like a pretty good lineup. They've got uh, Wellware and Red Hat and Golden Frog and HP and the Linux Foundation as sponsors. Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. The graphical ZFS tools uh, would be one for my interest. Oh, and also sure. Linux shaping the future of network file systems would also be one that I would find to be pretty interesting. Looks looks like a pretty solid lineup. OpenStack for beginners might be good if you're if you've heard a lot about OpenStack but you don't know where it is, what it is. This is this is one of the things that fests are great for is you can go in and sit in on talk that you might not have originally gone to, but since you're there and it's got a good time, and you can always get up and leave. But I've I have done that a few times where I'm like I, I think I might be kind of interested in this, but I'm not sure, and I'll go sit in and it's it's always it's always been a good experience. So go through that list and uh, check it out. And if you're going to be at uh, Texas Linux Fest. Say hi to Jared, a fellow Linux Unplugged listener. Nice. Uh, we got uh, we got a few people that wrote in about Manjaro again, defending it. We talked about Manjaro last week and a little bit the week before. And I, I got to say, uh, hats off to pretty much everybody who wrote in some really well-stated, well-reasoned emails defending Manjaro and why it works for them. Sam wrote in one of them. It's a bit long. But I'll go through some of it. it. Says, "Hey, Chris and Matt, just a quick response to the conversation about Manjaro in uh, Unplugged 42. I use and enjoy Manjaro on all of my laptops, and I've installed it for new Linux users. I think that the benefits of Manjaro's delayed release scheme have recently been proven with the release of Cinnamon 2.2. And see, the reason why I wanted to read this one is because Sam, I, I specifically called out. Can anybody tell me a use case where these delayed packages have actually saved anybody any trouble?" He says, uh, both Arch and Manjaro update their versions of the uPower package to a new version that changed its API from the typical OSS fashion. A consequence of that is a lot of Cinnamon's features relating to power management stopped working. It was an easy fix for Arch packagers, and it took a long time to get Cinnamon 2.2 in a usable place. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't an easy fix. During almost a month, Cinnamon 2.2 under Arch was in a really rough shape. Manjaro, on the other hand, pushed Cinnamon 2.2 and the new uPower package into its unstable branch and later to its testing repos where testers did find lots of issues and even worked with Arch packagers who were quite helpful at fixing them. But Manjaro users on the stable branch never had to suffer through that. Even more significantly, at the time, there was no problem with NDM, the default Manjaro display manager. That made it completely, there was a problem that made it completely stop working. Again, Manjaro and stable branch users saw the bugs and stable users of Manjaro were never affected. As major security patches, Manjaro occasionally releases out-of-band off-package updates if security issue is big enough. To warrant it. So please be kind to Manjaro. It's providing a great service to its users. What a great response, Sam. Yeah, what do you think? I, I think that really nails it because, I mean, you know, most of my computers are actually, uh, you know, are Arch based. I mean, they're based, essentially, it's just Arch. Um, however, the machine I call you uh, each week when we do Linux Unplugged is a Manjaro machine because, quite honestly, I don't want to roll the dice with Skype every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to, you know, or not just Skype, but any of the back-end stuff as well. I don't need to have an audio library update and potentially have a bug that I didn't catch when I was combing through various, uh, various, you know, files and updates and whatnot. Well said. So, you know, I like to, I like to keep one machine very, very uh, segmented, you know, to where it's like group updates, nice and clean. And then everything else I just let roll on Arch. It's great. Yeah, very, very well said. Uh, now, speaking of bugs, uh, I, I know we are actually currently <laughs> suffering from a... Uh, a little bug in Arch that's affecting some of us. Willie, did you have an update about that X cursor bug? Yeah, actually. Um, well, um, no, right now I'm not actually um, logged into my Arch box. I just rolled it back for the Mint thing. Okay. But um, this is a perfect example of where they have the opportunity to fix something that affects the rest of Arch. 
So, Matt, you kind of were playing on the pre-show. You were discovering. We were talking, hey, I just did updates on Arch. Chrome isn't launching for me. VLC isn't launching for right. me. You saw a suggestion in the chat room about a certain package. And you what, you rolled back what? And it did solve the problem? Yeah, I actually rolled back uh, LibX cursor. Uh, from uh, dash two to dash one, uh, rather than reading off the entire yeah, know, yeah. version number, and surprisingly, instantly, no reboot needed. Everything worked. Everything was fine. And so, you know, being able to do so, uh, you know, of course, uh, any Arch-based distro makes rolling back really easy. But I'm pretty sure this probably won't happen on Manjaro. Right, and this is a good example. So, if you're on Arch today, <laughs> and you're having problems with your Chromium launching or your VLC crashing on you or SMP yeah. whatever, whatever is crashing on your SM player. Um, has done it to uh, faint in our in our mumble room. Uh, I haven't. I, I've had. Uh, I actually had Nautilus lock. Up, or I'm sorry. Uh, files lock up. I, mean, I don't know if it was related. So yeah, it might be. It might be. It was. It was like it was making everything difficult to use there for a few minutes. I was pretty frustrated. Hey Matt, before we jump into uh, the uh, Mint 17 discussion, maybe actually. Well, yeah, no, we'll start with Mint 17 before we get to the derivative yeah. things. Uh, I want to mention today, episode two of Tech Talk Today was out. We, we announced it last week on Linux Unplugged. Second episode's out today, and I took a few shots at Apple for essentially blatantly ripping off uh, GNOME and GNOME client-side directions. I don't know if you've seen the new OS ten theme, Matt, but it looks exactly oh, like yeah. my GNOME box. I, I, I purposely avoid as much news as possible, but that did leak into my yeah. uh, my gates, yeah. and I laughed and you know made some comments on I it mean, for sure. Like Safari looks identical to GNOME Web. It's it, it's just a little uglier, but it's almost identical. Like it's got. It's got those Mac OS X color buttons that I'm not a big fan of. And other than that, it looks like GNOME Web. It, and Xcode looks like a GNOME app, and it's the Maps app looks like a GNOME app. So I, I went off on it on episode two of Tech Talk Today, which, by the way, Tech Talk Today is on the air. So check it out over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Okay, well, before uh, we get into Mint, I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is Ting. Go over to linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com will take $25 off your first device. If you've already got a device that works on the Ting network, check out their BYOD page because they're going to give you a $25 credit. And if you're like me, that'll pay for your first month of service, linux.ting.com. Now, why Ting? Because it's mobile that makes sense. No contract, no early termination fee. Let that sink in for a second. And you only pay for what you use. It's a flat $6 plus whatever taxes are applicable. And then your usage, your messages, your minutes, and your megabytes. Ting just adds them up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket you fall into, baller, that's what you pay. You're not paying into like a $120 contract that maybe this month you got $40 worth of your minutes and, and maybe $50 of, of megabytes. I don't even – how does that even break down? How do they even decide what to charge you for that? Whereas Ting is just flat rate and it's all listed out right on their website. And they have so many great devices now. So many great devices. But if you go to linux.ting.com, go check out the Nexus 5. $350 shipped from Ting. This is such a great Android phone. This is the Android phone where if you're like somebody, either you want the fanciest, one of the fanciest phones out there right now, this is still a great phone. But I actually think if you bought this phone, this would be a phone that would last you for several years. And uh, I was talking with Fate earlier today. Uh, and we were talking like one of the reasons I bought it and one of the reasons he's going to be buying the Nexus 5 is this is also the phone that all of our favorite alternative mobile operating systems are starting to target. There's essentially, if you've heard of that operating system, there's either an image or about to be an image for the Nexus 5. And it's why not pair that with a great network who respects you as a customer, linux.ting.com. Go check them out. They've got no hold customer service, an incredible dashboard to manage your account. 
and when you only pay for what you use, the value is incredible. You might pay a little more up front for that Nexus 5, although I don't think so. I think mean, that's just what Nexus 5s go for. But you get the example. You might pay a little bit more up front for a phone, but because you're not subsidizing that cost over two years, it's such a great value. And, and Rotten Corpse in our mumble room would save almost $4,000 by switching his two lines over. So as you wow. add more lines, because again, like, so if, you know, uh, if Matt, you got like, uh, you say you got the nephew on the Ting plan over there. Well, that's yeah. just $6 a month. That's all it's going to cost. And then whatever he uses. And if he's mostly a texter, that's going to be dirt cheap for you. Or if he's oh, on Wi Fi a lot. And he's using the Wi Fi a lot. Absolutely. And yeah. the great part of it is is that, you know, if he get if he gets twitchy and needs to uh, be schooled, um, <laughs> hey, you know what? I can go to the control panel That's right. and I can uh, I can pull things down a little bit. You got the dashboard hammer. That's right. <laughs> Linux.ting.com. Right. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. I love my Ting phone. Uh, all right. So I've got Mint 17 installed here. I went the cinnamon route, um, and I got to say, I think cinnamon's looking really good. The new cinnamon's pretty awesome. I'll run down a couple of new features, and then we'll talk about it. So starting with Linux Mint 17, we mentioned this on the Linux Action Show. Big updates to the update manager. It still holds kernel updates back. I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but it makes it really clear if you're a little twitchy about what you're updating, Mint's kind of there to hold your hand. Uh, so that's good. The other thing that I thought was pretty nice is they're, they've really taken MDM, which the rest of the community is just kind of abandoned, and they've made it a really nice display manager. Uh, multi-monitor support, animated backgrounds using HTML, uh, high DPI support, all have been added to MDM. Lots of language uh, support. Their new welcome screen, which we talked about in the last. They've really kind of made the set system settings more refined. The graphical interface for system settings was refined, and settings now look more consistent. Settings are better categorized and separated into subsections, which make a lot of sense. I was able to flow through it really easy. Uh, I also have worked on Cinnamon's snapping functionality, which Cinnamon right now has one of the best snapping systems out of any desktop environment. Now, they admit that they are a bit challenging, so they cleaned up the Hot Corners UI, which I have used a little bit, and I think it's really well done. So again, uh, another where Cinnamon has taken a power user feature, wrapped a pretty good UI in it, and not made it overly complicated for basic users. The Hot Corner module is also less confusing now. And it's more easier to find than before. That allowed them to disable top left hot corners by default, which had screwed a lot of people up. So now you can go in there and just turn it right on. And last but not least, uh, you can now shade windows just by scrolling them with your scroll wheel on the title bar, which is always important. Uh, and uh, they have better integration with GNOME, so that if you have GNOME on the same system, you're not going to have your, your system settings uh, won't be bumping heads and uh, conflicting with each other like they had in the past. Linux Mint 17, in summary, features Cinnamon 2.2. MDM 1.6, Linux kernel 3.13, and it's all based on Ubuntu 14.04. Linux Mint 17 will receive security updates until 2019. Until 2016, future version of Linux Mint will be based on the same package base as 17 is. So that's a huge one in my opinion. And until 2016, the development team won't start working on a new base and will be fully focused on this as the base. I don't know of any other Linux distribution that really does it quite like this at this point. Uh, Matt, why don't we start there? What do you think of them saying, you know, we're going to be releasing future versions, but all of the main, all of the main base packages are essentially going to stay relatively the same. Uh, is that, is that a good idea? I think for what they're trying to do and who they're trying to go after, yes, but with an asterisk. Uh, I would uh, the asterisk I would put on that is for people that are going straight across from like say uh, you know the the more bleeding edge Ubuntu specifically to where it's not an LTS release they may not find it so awesome but I think for casual users that are used to upgrading their Windows install you know every ten years or whatever it is I think it's fine. <laughs> 
Um, okay. I think it's an interesting approach, and if nothing else, even if you're not a fan of it, you got to admit that it does differentiate them from other uh, alternatives. So, PC Wiz, you consider yourself a power user, but you also like this static base, don't you? Um, I like not having to worry about my system. I like code. I like my system to stay the same. I don't want to have to worry about updating my system or wake up one day and VLC won't start or whatever. Chromium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just needs to work for me. Okay, Rodden Corpse, tell me, it's all about the implementation? What do you mean? Well, um, there's two potentially massive problems with Mint uh, sticking to an LTS. The first is the package management. They say they're going to stick to one package base, but are they going to update like the actual applications, or, or is it just the core structure that's being stuck? Or like, how are they, they? They've never addressed that, so. right? And like when fourteen oh one or fourteen dot oh dot one and oh dot two dot three and et cetera, et cetera, come out. Will they match that? Will they follow that, or will they stay at fourteen well, oh? They'd more than likely match that in the sense of like the kernel and the structure, but fourteen oh four Ubuntu doesn't update app applications either. So that's the right. problem. They'd have to do it themselves. And they haven't mentioned whether they're going to do that or not. Well, and I assume they're they going to do. That, I, mean, I assume they're going to do user land applications like Firefox and Chrome and, and VLC, right? Well, I mean, the, the the massive packages that Ubuntu does, then they'll they'll bring those in. But like packages that are just open source apps, uh, like my app or HTOP ex- or yeah, or HTOP or any or any Tmux or something like that. That's not that's you know widely used, right. but not yep. super you know super popular. So if you have uh, if they have the a system that would compensate for that, that'd be great. But they haven't mentioned whether they do or not. And the the other bigger problem is uh, potentially, you know, Cinnamon is built, uh, and they release it two months before Mint ever comes out because the Arch users are gonna, you know, beat on it and make sure that it's good, and then they kind of get like a, a an uh, I don't know, not a sneaky, but an an easier way to test their stuff. The problem with it is that. The, the core system of any LTS is going to stay on one version of GTK and maybe update a little bit, but not a massive version. And this is 3.10, so, right? Right. So if, if Cinnamon is stuck on a particular GTK base, then the next time it's updated, uh, yes. it might break in Arch and stuff like that because Arch will always be up to date in well, GTK. Well, and it's, it's not just Arch. Eventually it will be Fedora. It'll be all the other yeah. distributions too. True. Right, everybody. I, yeah. So that, that I, How will that? Uh, Wimpy, do you have any insights on that? Um, uh, a little. Um, I, I spoke to Clem about all of this some months ago, some months ago when he first sort of fielded the idea. But but specifically around GTK, um, for example, today I've just built and installed Unity on Arch to do some benchmarking, and that's using GTK three twelve. And I'm not sure what version uh, Unity or rather the the Ubuntu desktop is targeting mm-hmm. at the moment, but I think it's either 3.10 or 3.8. But surprisingly, 3.12 with a few patches works really well. Looks a bit odd in places like other um, uh, desktops that are um, moving to the common versions of GTK 3. But it's it's not it's not awful. And I think one of the reasons why Clem is choosing to put a line in the sand here is so that he can just target a stable base so that all of those little features you've just mentioned that are nice evolutions and improvements are what the Mint team can focus on rather than having to deal with regressions. Hmm. Now, Heaven's Revenge uh, points out this is already becoming a problem with elementary OS. Can you elaborate? Well, only by third-party instances. Most people or most articles always complain 
elementary OS's base is an LTS release, and it diverges from the cutting edge or the leading Ubuntu release. 1204 so at that. Yeah, 1204. And there's a lot of incompatibilities and in why Pantheon won't work on almost anything else because it's based on the LTS release of so long ago. Yeah, I mean, and a lot could change. Uh, we, we see within a few years, the entire technological landscape can change, and especially in the open source world where things like GDK get updated and a lot of, you know, quote-unquote breaking changes happen all the time. Is it really a good idea to have, like, say, a, a, a GDK-based, well, say Linux Mint would be based on GDK 3.10, and someone decides to do some GDK application development on Linux Mint 17. And then they want to de what, deploy it to, say, Ubuntu 14.10 at that point, or 15.04 or whatever. There's going to be subset, like substantial breakages between those GDK versions. You wouldn't, I mean, that would, there would be a problem with just using Ubuntu first place with the Unity uh, compatibility with Cinnamon, uh, because they use different versions of GTK. The, the biggest the, the the thing about elementary though is that they have only been around for two years so they've only technically released one time their mint's not doing what elementary does they release once a once every two years every lts whereas mint plans to use an lts base to release consistently so if they consistently update the necessary packages there shouldn't be a problem wimpy do you think we're worrying about nothing when it comes to gtk changes um, well, well, yeah, I think the whole point of, of what Mint is setting out to do here is to pick a an LTS release which has a GTK version, and they will target that GTK version for the next four years. So they don't care about the GTK changes that are happening. When I, when I discussed this with Clem, he, he did make the point that, yes, you know, the, the Arch users and the Cinnamon um, uh, package maintainers for Arch may well find regressions and issues and the Mint team will address those as as it's brought to their attention, as they have done, you know, for, for some time now. But it isn't their primary focus. Their primary focus is going to be revving the Cinnamon desktop environment mm -hmm. and bringing bringing new features and improvements to what is a stable underlying platform. Well, and I could see um, if uh, you know there's a if there's a transition taking place between. Um, traditional Unity desktop and the new Unity 8 desktop, and maybe that's not whatever. Maybe some people won't like some of the new apps or whatever it is, and Mint could come along and say, look, we've been here for years. We're super rock solid, and we've just been polishing and polishing and polishing the Cinnamon desktop. I mean, they could be in a really, really good position. And plus, like the chat room's pointing out, it's not like it's not like Clem can't reevaluate plans if things don't go swimmingly two years down the road. He can look at his you know, uh, outline and go, well, you know what? Maybe it's time to reevaluate, or maybe the maybe the Linux Mint Debian edition because that continues on. Maybe that gets to a point where that's uh, particularly interesting. Uh, Riley, I wanted to let you get your point in about Mir. How do you think that plays in? Um, yes, because a lot of people a while back were worried like what's going to happen when fourteen uh, ten and fifteen oh four goes Mir. So like, what is like all the other distros based off of a boot are going to do? Maybe that's so, what Clem's thing is like. You know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to sit out for a couple of years. Because <laughs> a lot of people thought they would just stick, like they should have stick with Debian and do that way, and is uh, yeah focus yeah. on that. But this uh, keeps the user base. Uh, so there's just two downsides focus. that I see that I think are primarily worrying. Um, number one. I still believe the number one users of the Linux desktop are of a technical variety, so package currentness is important to what I believe to be the vast majority of actual people who use Linux on the desktop. There's probably 
lots of people. There's a, probably a great percentage of people who dronelessly use their machine and don't even realize what operating system it's running. But people who, who are actively engaged and want the latest and greatest, I believe, represent the majority of the Linux desktop. So I don't know if Mint's going to be appealing to those people, but there is always that the people who don't care – there, there is always people from that really technical crowd who move themselves into that group as life gets busy or for whatever reason. So there, you can still, you can still satisfy that niche, and that user base is always growing as new users come in. So I'm not saying it's a failed strategy, but I'm just saying it probably won't appeal to overly advanced Linux users. The other thing I'm worried about is it seems like the long-term success of Cinnamon would be dependent on the adoption of Cinnamon in other Linux distributions. Now maybe that's crazy to me, but it seems like if you don't have a relevant desktop that at least has a large enough user size, application developers will never be compelled to make their applications integrate with your desktop. Where if you can have like KDE, GNOME, and Unity, and these guys are managing to suck out most of the air in the room, that's what's going to have a, uh, a developer's customization attention, and they have limited time, so they're only going to spend their time on the desktop's that will really net them the most rewards. And I don't see how Cinnamon can achieve that status unless Cinnamon works on lots of distributions. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, Cinnamon yeah. technically has a the extension-based system for GNOME, so most of the stuff that's in the GNOME extensions could be pretty much easily ported to Cinnamon. Like, there's been there's already been about 40 that have been ported, and they work perfectly fine. All right. To that point, well, what I doesn't say... work? Oh, well, okay. Well, go ahead, uh, Noah, and no, then uh, yeah. Dave, go, ahead. go after Noah. Well, my question was, uh, what doesn't work in, in Cinnamon that works on, for example, GNOME? Well, nothing. I mean, everything's fine today. But as as the GTK desktops move forward, and I mean, not that Cinnamon won't be moving forward, but if it stays pinned to one version of GTK, eventually you won't. It just won't be worth the effort to run it on anything but Mint. It might be possible, but it just won't be worth it. Sure. There's, okay. there's extensions that, for example, GPaste that wouldn't the the GNOME extension would not work in Cinnamon, but it was ported to Cinnamon, so that works now. Oh, so Dave, now you, go ahead. You were kind of going to challenge the general base that I was making the argument from, right? Yes, uh, you said that uh, Linux is still used by a more technical audience, people who want uh, package currentness and people who are uh, technically inclined to invest in their desktop. But um, I've, I've, I've been finding that that may not be true. I mean, I went on, on a trip a couple of weeks ago and I saw that a lot of people knew what Linux was and a lot of people had seen Linux desktops, people who don't know anything about computers, but they knew what Linux was. And they were really impressed. They had seen this before. And uh, there are a lot of people that it, it's easy to install Linux now. They use Linux. They know Linux. And so I don't think Cinnamon and Mint uh, together are targeting uh, the Arch users or the hardcore Linux users. I think they're targeting Ubuntu's place in the desktop Linux world because Linux now has a place there. I mean, I'm in India and people know this. People know that mm -hmm. there is something call Linux and uh, it has it has these issues and whatnot but it works and people have asked me my, my sister who's a dentist asked me if I if she could install Linux yeah so yeah I mean it's the world is different now and I think cinnamon is trying to make a place in this world by targeting a stable reliable desktop for people who can install an OS but not do much beyond that well and wimpy you've noticed at your local lug that a lot of folks there are using Linux, and it's out-of-date versions at that. Yeah, I was really, really surprised by this. So at the last lug meet, which is predominantly um, uh, populated by uh, Silver Surfers, let's say, who, um, who, who are finding Linux as an alternative to Windows, 
mostly because they've heard that it doesn't have the virus problem. Mm. But they, they just want something to install that works, that means they can read their email, that they can get on the web, and most importantly, that they can play solitaire, because that seemed to be the preserve of what they were up to. The versions of the Linux distributions they were running, I was c- kind of amazed. What, uh, three or four of them were running a version of Mint, and I don't know what the Mint code name was, but it was the, it was the one that was derived from Ubuntu Karmic. So this is getting on for a five-year-old uh, <laughs> you know, Ubuntu distribution, and they're perfectly fine with it. Well, they installed it, and it's got all of the stuff they need, and it works. And I, I, I'm, I can't get my head around that, that they're satisfied with this. But, but that's, it works. It's know, like a TV that, in, a, in a sense. The TV turns on and the channels come on. doesn't matter if it doesn't have a Netflix app built in. Exactly. And, and they were talking about you know, upgrading on what version they were going to move to next. And I was explaining, well, Mint 17's you know, just around the corner. Oh, no, no, no. There's this Mint 13, and that's the long-term support release version, and I think that's the one I'm going to use. And I'm like, but that's two years old, and they just don't care. It doesn't right. resonate. Right. And, uh, Popey, I know you want to look into the crystal ball and talk a little bit about future desktops. Go ahead. Well, it just seems to me that, that the the whole rationale for some of these uh, desktops existing, like Cinnamon and Mate, is there was a, a movement some time ago that, that a lot of uh, the technical users and existing Linux desktop users didn't like the way the desktop was going. They didn't like GNOME Shell. They didn't like Unity. They, they, didn't, they may not have liked KDE 4 as well. And it seems that I know. I know. Mark has uh, Mark Shuttleworth has said before that you know we tried the GNOME two way. We tried the the two panel traditional Linux desktop, and it didn't work. And for our market, which is mass adoption, you know, everyone buying it in stores, and so that's part of the reason why we forged ahead with a different desktop. And GNOME have got their own desktop, and KDE are working with their new. Uh, user interface and it's funny that you know you've mentioned that the apple uh, announcement at wwdc reflects some of the changes that gnome shell have done it seems that that there's a in the future there's these desktops that are moving forward and then there's the ones that are holding back and the ones that are holding back are servicing a, a, a requirement from refuseniks people who just flat out don't like that new interface which is fine but they're never ever going to get mass market adoption if you're sitting there with something that looks like Solaris from 19 whatever. <laughs> I, I can see that. I mean, definitely one yeah. of the things that gives me a little bit of a chub is the fact that my GNOME 3 desktop looks like it's from the future. Uh, I used to. Sorry, I, I used KD to. KD looks fine with, with the proper uh, icon themes and everything. KD looks yes, fine. Yes, you sure. have to tweak it a bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What were you going to say? No. Okay. I was I was just going to say I was a CDE developer at Sun Microsystems in the late 1990s. So Alan, <laughs> I hate you. Thing <laughs> <laughs> is, me, myself and uh, Wimpy were in the same Linux user group, yeah. so I know I know this group of people. And these Silver Surfers are oh, yeah, semi technical, and they're the they're the main people who are still in the sure. Linux user group. Yeah. They're the people who are contributing to the mailing list and mm. going along because everyone else has moved on and they've mm-hmm. got desktops that work and they don't have to futz around with lib foo and you know some so file in a directory somewhere that doesn't match so i can't run my desktop that stuff is just the past let's move forward i that's kind of how i mean i i respect like uh i guess 
I'm of two minds of it because I've worked with so many uh, just basic uh, staff who really the the use of the computer is part of the job requirement, but it's not what they're there to do. And so, you know, you start changing UI on them and to them, it seems it, it doesn't even seem like annoying. It just seems literally unneeded. And it, it's frustrating for them because it's like, well, this is for them. It's a hammer. It's a hammer with a lot more buttons. And, you know, and, and why make why change the hammer if I'm just na- nailing the same nail every day? Uh, and so I understand where there's where there is room for cinnamon and things like that. Rotten Corpus, why don't you take us out and uh, you said there might be a way for power users to stay on Mint and these and and the same Mint base, but keep their packages up to date. Lay it on us. Right. Well, I was saying because I as a you know a package man, or a project man, manager, there's a lot of you have to deal with a lot of packaging for different different distros. And one of the easiest things to do is to build a PPA so you have support for anything based on Ubuntu. And with a PPA, you can keep up to date. And the the only problem with the PPA is that when as soon as a Ubuntu release is no longer being supported, the PPAs are killed uh, by Launchpad itself. But for the LTS, as long as they're they're being supported, you can just continuously get updates and updates. So if if Mint did some kind of PPA. Um, management solution for their packages, they could just do that instead of having to have a completely separate repo. Well, they do have a PPA manager built into their software uh, sources management. It's pretty good. I, I think. No, I, think... I don't. I don't mean. I don't. I mean. I don't mean the user managed it. Oh, okay. Because that's. I mean, like the the, the, t- the projects themselves, the team of men oh. managed what is like. Like they could go in and see this PPA is trusted. This is an official PPA from the project. They're they're good to use that. We can put it in our our, our well, default repo. Have you guys ever noticed? And I'm I'm pretty sure I have not downloaded uh, Chrome from the Google website on a, in a very long time. Because I always just get Chromium from the package manager. But it, on Ubuntu, if you download Chrome from like the Google website, doesn't it add a repo to your sources list to get future Chrome updates through the app system? Yeah. But also, Firefox and Chromium have an ex- exception to the the package update system right. in Ubuntu, so they're always up to date. Unlike right. you know some other random application that doesn't get updated, they have exceptions. So why don't more packages yeah, that do that though? Why 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 don't why don't they all do that? When I download well, Handbrake, overhead. Someone someone has to actually yeah. update those packages yeah, and well, test them. Well, that's true. <laughs> yes. That's yeah, are you volunteering? <laughs> well, I'm asking them to get somebody to volunteer. <laughs> well, the the problem is, is there's people who would have like as a project manager, I would happily update my my app to be continuously you know recognized as an up to date feature. But I have to wait until Ubuntu has the time to do it for one of the maintainers, and I and my testing is not is not enough. I think it's wasted effort. Well, that's what he thinks. So uh, I want to uh, pause right here, and then let's talk about the whole derivatives thing, and because that kind of dovetails well with our Mint discussion. And uh, first, I want to thank another sponsor of the Unplugged Show, and that's the awesome folks over at DigitalOcean. Are you familiar with DigitalOcean? Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now and go get started because we've got a brand new promo code for the month of June, which is Unplugged June. Unplugged June will get you a $10 credit. So what is DigitalOcean, my friends? I would be happy to tell you a little about DigitalOcean. I've been using them for quite a while now, and I've had absolutely rock-solid performance. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server. Well, often I say about 55 seconds, but it ranges. Our audience, I think it's actually dipped down now into the 37-second range, and I swear that's without scripting. That's without scripting. 37 40 seconds. something before? Boy, yeah. that's crazy. I know. I know. I know. And I think it's even like at 43 th- seconds when somebody was doing it from their Android phone. And here's what you get 
for $5 a month. 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a blazing fast CPU, and one terabyte of transfer for $5. And it's all locked in right there. You know exactly how much it's going to cost. And if you want to upgrade it, you can. If you want to shut it off, you can. And the best thing is DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. So I've been able to strategically place a droplet in San Francisco and a droplet in New York, spin up BitTorrent Sync on both of them, and then seed content from both sides of the United States, and it made a noticeable difference in performance. And I think the great thing about DigitalOcean is that awesome, simple, and intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a much larger scale with their straightforward API. I have to say, if you haven't tried out DigitalOcean yet, you're really missing something. Unplug June to get a $10 credit. Then you can try it out for two months on your own to see what you think. Fire up a BitTorrent sync, an own cloud. Set up a website over there and try out their backup systems with their droplet. Create a system, get it all configured just the way you want, and then deploy it again and again and again. DigitalOcean makes so many of these functions that used to be really challenging. I used to be able to charge my clients hundreds of dollars an hour to do. They now let you do it in their awesome dashboard, all sitting on top of KVM powered by SSD drives connected to Tier 1 bandwidth. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code UNPLUGGEDJUNE. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. I have, uh, I have uh, uh, endless uses for this, you guys, and you can too. You'll be surprised once you get it running, even in the first two months, how necessary to your life it becomes. It's like if you've ever gone from like not having a car to then getting a car, and you're always like, how did I live? Or, or, or the cell phone. Like, like, do you ever do you remember Wi-Fi. a time with – or, yeah, Wi-Fi. Like, there's like these – exactly. There's these technologies that come around. I'm like, wait a minute. How did I ever get any work done without this? That's DigitalOcean for me. DigitalOcean.com, unplugged June. Okay, Matt, you had a piece that you wrote for uh, Datamation, and uh, you said, are are Ubuntu derivatives a bad idea? That's the headline, and it starts out with, when most people think of Ubuntu derivatives, they usually categorize them into Ubuntu with with a different desktop environment than Unity category. However, according to Ubuntu, they refer to Ubuntu-based distros with different desktop environments as derivatives, as well as distros using their own tools, apps, goals, and customizations. I think that's a great point. In fact, later on, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, that a lot of times Mint users will go seek help in Ubuntu forums, and the Ubuntu forums right. isn't necessarily very receptive to that. So uh, did you kind of make the argument here that maybe derivatives aren't a good recommendation for new users? I think it's very case by case, and probably the best use case scenario I have for something is if you have someone that's, let's say they're a Windows XP user and they're looking to make the switch. They're very set in their ways. They don't give a flying rip about what's bleeding edge. They want their launcher where their launcher is supposed to be. They want their Firefox, and they want to get it done. That's probably a Linux Mint person. However, if you have a Windows 7 user who is fluent in all desktops, been using you know Windows forever, and doesn't really care about how the desktop looks, wants something a little more, uh, a little more bleeding edge, a little more uh, robust, I guess you might say, Ubuntu is probably a better option simply because of uh, better compatibility, a bigger user base, and they're able to drill down a little deeper. Um, that is really my underpinnings of it is that if you're looking at PPAs, Mint isn't always going to be your best experience. Um, I've based that on my own experience and based that on my own research. So, uh, so on G plus you know, on G plus this morning, like literally like at four a.m. in the morning, Aaron Saigo posted on G plus in the comment threads of one of his posts. He said that you know he does feel like sometimes these derivatives uh, sometimes are good, 
in some yeah. cases. And in some cases, what they actually do is dilute the talent pool and reduce our focus as a community and slow us down as a whole from moving forward. And I wonder, too, if maybe derivatives aren't a bit like that. If people, instead of working on the derivatives, were working on the main upstream distribution, would that not have made that upstream distribution that much better? I think it de depends on the viewpoint. I think from a developer's viewpoint, I agree with him. I think from an end user's viewpoint, I completely disagree. Ah, so, yes. I, so, so I think because from an end user's point of view, they want to be able to have choice. They want maybe, uh, maybe they want to go with a KDE desktop. In that case, you would actually go with a derivative, not a customization. Um, a customization would be like uh, elementary OS or Linux Mint. With an actual derivative, you're looking at like a Xbuntu, Ubuntu, Kubuntu, whatever it may be. Um, that way, you're getting that true Ubuntu base, uh, you know, a, a much more pure Ubuntu base without all the extra stuff put over the top of it. So, uh, Rotten, do you think people show up first as a contributor to a distro and then get put off and go start their own? I wouldn't say always, but there's a lot of people I've talked to that I asked them why they'd made their their derivative of whatever base it was and they said it was too hard to get the people who were in charge to pay attention to their contributions and then to test them and get them applied for ubuntu for example it's very hard to put any kind of community contribution to any core systems like if somebody wanted to do to fork the usc and then make it better and improve it in any way they can it's pretty much going to be ignored and Dave, uh, I think I agree with you too. It's sort of hard to pin down what exactly is a respin versus a derivative or even a distro, right? Exactly. See, uh, Lon Cox and I have this conversation often. And we'll see, uh, when you say it's a different distro, like for example, say Elementary or Pingai, is it actually a different distro? Is there a very, I'm asking, is there a core difference between the uh, libraries they use or is it just Ubuntu with a, is it just Ubuntu with a different desktop? Because that's not true for Cinnamon. Cinnamon, uh, sorry, uh, Mint. Mint and Cinnamon work very well on a machine where Ubuntu wouldn't. But I think if I put Elementary on a machine uh, and Ubuntu on a the machine, there wouldn't be too much of a difference, except maybe in the Pantheon, mm -hmm. in how many resources the Pantheon desktop uh, uses. Mm -hmm. So we need to say that, okay, this is a derivative and this is its own, this is just Ubuntu with a reskin. There's a difference between the two. Popey, I want to pick on you because I'm sure coming from uh, the Ubuntu side of things, you guys must see this come up quite a bit. Uh, folks are running a, 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 a derivative of Ubuntu and they come to get support. Is it a problem? Do you think it's maybe, and I know you're not speaking on behalf of Ubuntu or Canonical, but do you think maybe it's detracted resources from the upstream project, in this case Ubuntu or something like that? Um, it's tricky. I, I, uh... Because, I mean, so... Ubuntu itself is a Debian derivative, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and we're very grateful for the base that, that Debian have given us to build upon. And and just to pick up a, a, a tiny nitpick, the Kubuntu, Zubuntu and so on are flavors. So we consider those blessed uh, derivatives. They're called flavors. A, a derivative is something that that is um, separate from Ubuntu. And you can usually recognize that by the fact that the packages that they come pre-installed with don't come from the Ubuntu archive. So for example, Mint has its own 
uh, repository with their desktop in it. Whereas Lubuntu, everything that ships on the ISO image came from the Ubuntu archive. Um, I don't want to get stuck in the weeds, but let me ask you this. If I install... the, the, the The reason why that's important is because the people who work on those flavors work together. They work together for a ah, common goal, even though okay. they're working on separate desktops. So you've got the Kubuntu guys who are working on their KDE desktop, and Ubuntu working on the LXDE desktop, but they're contributing to the commons in the archive. I see. So they're like using Launchpad silos gotcha, gotcha. and PPAs all over the place. So there's yeah, some exactly. collaboration happening between the projects and, right, and notes being passed back and forth and things like that. They're, yeah, and they collaborate in, in team meetings and so on. But there there is a certainly... I would agree that sometimes you do get people who come along and say, I would like to contribute in this way. And the project, whatever it might be, and in this case, yeah, okay, it might be Ubuntu, might say, well, actually, we don't need that contribution. That bit's done. We'd like, if you could, to contribute in this other way. And they say, well, no, and walk away. And that that has manifested itself in uh, in derivatives appearing and then dying and other appear, uh, derivatives appearing and then dying so yeah there is a there is a there is a problem that people want to contribute in their own way um and you know they, their contribution may not be wanted or their contri- their their eagerness to contribute might be wanted but not in the way that they think they can contribute, if that makes sense. But don't you think, I mean, then we'll go back to the main topic, but don't you think, man, if Ubuntu Touch, it takes off, and a lot of people like it, isn't this going to be, like, so such a bigger problem with, with that? Because there's so many crazy phones and different carriers and manufacturers. There could be derivative after derivative after derivative of Ubuntu Touch, right? Um, I'm not sure that would happen. I, I mean, it's entirely it's entirely possible for someone to take the code because it's you know it's free software and you could fork it and create your own your own phone OS. But you know, is anyone going to run it? You know, why why would you run random? You know, let's say there's a Mint Touch, for example. Why would you run Mint Touch? If you've got to look at the motivation for why Mint existed, it's in large part, as I said earlier, the refuseniks who don't like Unity and and so on. So. If if Mint wanted to make a touch device, an OS for touch devices, they're going to have to create a UI that fits on a five-inch device. I don't know if it's the, the Usenix or if it was maybe theming in codecs originally. I mean, yeah, it might have been drivers and codecs. Or, I, I, ironically, the early adherence to strict free software uh, policies might have actually been what was the original spark for Mint. In some right, ways, and I I can't remember the last time I had to even bother about codecs. Yeah, yeah, it's you know. yeah, not that, that used to be it's a, a thing. Non-issue. Yeah, it used to be a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah, anymore. remember those days, old man. <laughs> well, Automatic. Fair, remember was that? Made like seven years ago. <laughs> uh, Wimpy, you wanted to touch on uh, the the Android when it comes Android when it comes to forking. Well, yeah, only only uh, with what Popey was just saying about who would fork um, Ubuntu Touch. Well, oh, we sure. just have to look at all of the OEMs that have effect- effectively um, forked. Or, or customized Android with their own skins, themes, UI enhancements. I mean, just about everyone releases with their own uh, take on the Android user interface. So w- why why would Canonical think that the OEMs aren't going to do that again? Plus, yeah, I'm well, working in OEMs. That's why all of our mobile carriers just suck for updating Android. They are, are it's, its own fork. It's very difficult for anyone to contribute to Android, anyone outside of Google to contribute to Android. 
So it, it, whereas, you know, we've got people from all around the world contributing to Ubuntu. It's very open. Everything's free software. It's not like Android where they throw it over the wall when when there's a release. Mm-hmm. Ours is ongoing all the time. So there's certainly it's a lot easier for OEMs and to get involved. Also, sometimes some of the Android forking, like in, I would say probably Amazon's case, is also a competitive fork. They don't want Google to be in control because of the size of Google and Google's exactly. already existing monopoly base, which is not really – in fact, that's sort of Canonical's advantage. They can, we're not Google, but we can still pull this off. And that's sort of like <laughs> – not a lot of other people can answer that. Uh, so, all right, but going, getting back to the derivative things, uh, moving us back, uh, I kind of – here's the way I look at derivatives is uh, to me it seems like like cars, like bicycles, like cell phone cases – there's not one answer for one person in most cases. And so the reason why derivatives come up is because, you know, like for me, let's look at uh, Entergros. Uh, I I personally prefer installing Entergros rather than regular Arch, even though at the end I accomplish the same task essentially. But for me, I prefer going that route because it saves me essentially two days overall of setup as I would slowly poke away at installing packages. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if you would consider Entergros a derivative but i'm damn happy it's there and uh, you know i'll tell you a little behind the scenes thing is uh chase and i are you know getting ready to shoot some some of his first episodes of how to linux and there's just been this discussion about what distribution does it go with and we've been kicking around a lot of stuff we're going to make our announcement of the distribution he picked in the first episode and it has not been an easy process it has not been an easy process at all and should he go mint came up several times, and we would start at a conversation thread where we'd start at one place and we'd end up again at Mint. And I thought that was particularly interesting, and I, and I think that kind of got this derivatives thing uh, uh, churning in the back of my head because there kept, we kept coming up with scenarios where maybe Mint would be more preferable for Chase. Uh, and I don't, I'm not going to say if we chose Mint in the end, but to right. me it, does, it did illustrate that when you are genuinely switching somebody over to a new desktop operating system – Mint does offer a few nice things, and I, I think in some ways it's sort of showing Ubuntu, hey, if you did it like this, it might be a little bit better. Like it's, it's not quite competition. It's like, hey, here's another way to think about deploying this. And in some ways, having that, having, having that to look over their shoulder and go, oh, that's how these guys are doing it. Maybe we'll – like the PPA management. Wouldn't that be great if one day we just saw something like that kind of show up in, in a future version of Ubuntu? Wouldn't that be the nice? updater too. Yeah, and, and and maybe that code would just come from the Mint repos. Like, wouldn't that be nice? And so I could see how there is a solid argument for derivatives. I do think they do create a bit of a support issue. But if you look at the industry at a whole, really in most cases, there's lots of different derivatives of PCs. There's lots of different derivatives of Android handhelds and, and monitors and peripherals. I mean, we just live in a world full of derivatives. And, you know, I, I think it's just something that, it's just the nature of this beast, and it seems to be the nature of open source, for better or for worse. I think it could be one of our biggest strengths and maybe so. one of our biggest weaknesses, too, though, because of the time loss. Well, and one, one thing I wanted to touch on, just to, and I'm not trying to split hairs with this by any stretch, but I think it's important to mention we were talking a little bit about uh, derivatives versus uh, customizations. Um, my information is based on the derivative team wiki uh, from uh, from Ubuntu, and – According to them, it's a it's a customization right. of uh, it's a derivative customization more right. accurately. So that's where the where the differentiation comes from. And then reverting back to what you were talking about as to whether or not you want to go with a, just another desktop or whether you want to actually go a Mint direction or an elementary direction. Um, I think it really comes down to the tools that are offered by each option and which set of tools is going to work best for you. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, and I I think too you can't undersell like uh, the the old way of doing things paradigm. You know, when when yeah. you give a Windows user a computer with Linux, one of the right. first things they decide to do is, well, I need to go install some of my favorite apps, and they go down, they go to their <laughs> right. websites, they like they look for the downloaders, and yep. there, there's a whole process that they have to become accustomed to, and I I don't know. I've been using Cinnamon now for uh, for at least just over a week, and I think it's I kind of been really enjoying it. I I like that it it uh, I I honestly like how familiar and fast that old I don't want to call it a start menu, but that start menu and taskbar interface is. I I don't want to I don't want Popey to yell at me, but honestly, sometimes I go back and then I realize, oh geez, when I needed to get data from this window to that window, gosh, this just made it so much easier to have these right here and not have to zoom out to a full overview of my entire desktop or switch virtual desktops if I didn't. You know, I just I'm just saying I just even even though using GNOME for a long time and using Unity for a long time, when I sat down and got in traditional UI, I kind of went, oh yeah, yeah, there were some nice things about this, and then it starts to feel a little old after a while. Chris, do you know who you sound like? You sound like the daughter <laughs> in. Uh, Jurassic Park that's gone back to a system that they know and they recognize and they love. <laughs> this is a Unix system. From I recognize past. this. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. this. Yeah, I know Chris, this. You know, it's also very easy to steam cinnamon on Unity or Yeah, it's fun. There's uh, several menus you can get to make it look. Okay, I, you know what? I had one more topic I wanted to cover before we get yeah. Uh, and this one's about GNOME, and this one just caught my eye because it turns out the GNOME Foundation board uh, elections are going on, and uh, there's a candidate that has caught my attention. I want to see what you guys think. Uh, so here's the headline. A candidate vying to become one of the directors of the GNOME Foundation has raised issues of Red Hat's domination of development of the GNOME desktop project, claiming that for the last several years, this is a direct quote, Red Hat wants slash needs have trumped what anyone else wants slash needs, including the larger user base of GNOME. This is Emily, and I think you pronounce her last name Goiner. I'm not quite sure. This uh, was in an email thread where she was declaring her candidacy, uh, voting for the voting for this board of directors with its 11 people. Uh, there's eight posts that are open. It's ongoing and will continue until June 8th, and then they will declare the elections on June 10th. And there's a couple of choice quotes from this. Uh, in her candidacy statement, she wrote, It is my opinion that GNOME has strode too far towards a corporate-driven project and away from its community-led roots. As of now, GNOME is, in my opinion, too beholden to a small handful of large corporations and forces with the project uh, and forces which forces the project to ignore large swaths of users' preferences to them. The end result being that GNOME has lost a tremendous portion of respect and goodwill in the wider free software community. As a member of the GNOME board of directors, I will actively work against this tide and towards the more open, community-driven project that GNOME once was, and I hope will be again. I have been a GNOME, I have been a longtime user of GNOME since the 1.x days and an active contributor for the last two years. Now, how about that? She goes on to say, yes, you are part of the community, but you are being paid by a large corporation to work on it. And as a result, you are beholden to them at least as much to the rest of the community. Red Hat is not the only thing that matters in the GNOME world, or it shouldn't be. But for the last several years, Red Hat's wants and needs have trumped what anyone else wants or needs, including the larger user base of GNOME, which is what I believe has driven it to fracture into so many desktops over the last four years. We need to make sure that the people who aren't working for Red Hat have a say. Make sure that people who aren't being paid to work on free software have a voice. Sure, those of us who are not currently paid to speak up on mailing lists, 
but we uh, those of us who are not currently paid do speak up on mailing lists, but we're mostly ignored. This is what's driven so many so much of the community apart. This is the problem. Wow. I completely agree. <laughs> Actually, that was really well said. She's got my vote. So how, yeah. I mean, is 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 gnome being uh, cred and everything? Is gnome being ran into the ground by the uh, by the red hat? Why would why would red hat do that? Is that really what's going on? Uh, I would say that would happens say with most projects. Yeah, why does red hat care about a desktop? Well, they have a corporate desktop that they make a good amount of money on. That's you know a lot of times like when you see people using Linux in Hollywood production, those are sitting on top of red hat desktops. So it's a potential issue, right? When if a company gets involved to the point where their needs come before users, but it and some would argue it's a real issue, but in the open source community, as long as all their code is open source that you can fork, and I don't think forks are a bad thing because in any project when you get too many developers working on the same thing, they have different ideas about what you should do. So having she argues that having gnome fracture into I'm guessing she means cinnamon, cinnamon is a bad bad thing, but I don't think it's a bad thing. They're they're trying to accomplish two different goals that meets two different types of people's needs. And quite frankly, love it or hate it, Gnome does something that none of the other desktops really do, a way of doing things that they just don't accomplish, and there is a set of users like myself that really enjoys it. So to say that they're screwing the pooch on this one just seems a little arrogant. Like, I mean, leave some room for some creativity. If they're really trying to brandish their corporate might at this issue, then that's when you start arguing about it, but not until then. Mm, And and we wouldn't have Gnome Shell if it wasn't for a large part of the efforts done by gnome developers that are backed monetarily by companies True. like red hat True. exactly and that's i that's what i was going to point out as well is that if if before you can before we harp on red hat too much for saying well their interests come before the users yeah they're also contributing a lot more right. than most users contribute to the development and right. and like it or not developers cost money right yeah. on i mean we're, we're talking about the same kind of companies that invest you know multi-millions sometimes billions of dollars into funding linux kernel development we're not talking about you know microsoft sticking its greedy hands in somewhere and screwing with the ui wimpy you wanted to point out though that it's not just cinnamon that she's probably referring to right no there's there's a number of candidates in these gnome foundation elections that have got similar sort of messages in their manifestos and um uh, a common theme is talking about potentially unifying uh, the traditional uh, desktops. So uh, Mate has been thrown in there along with Cinnamon. Mm. And to some extent, XFCE also gets mentioned as well. And and one of the candidates is talking about using GNOME 3 as sort of the, the skunk works, the let's go crazy with the design ideas, um, th- throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. And whilst... Everyone's over there um, experimenting with new design philosophies. Then have a something more stable and traditional for um, the corporate um, and enterprise market. And and this is this is really what the discussion's about: is what's the desktop that you're going to put in front of enterprise customers going to be? What are they expecting? And I think that you know last time round when um, they uh, they put the uh, the classic extensions into to GNOME three for RHEL. It was kind of a vote of no confidence in the uh, new and shiny that that everything that's been done in GNOME three in terms of the enterprise market. Well, uh, Willie, what do you think? Do you think the fact that Apple just pretty wholesalely ripped off GNOME three's design might give a little extra credibility to those pushing the GNOME design forward? 
I mean, it's not the most used desktop for no reason. People like it. And if people like it, is it really that bad? Well, and I, I don't know if I don't know if I agree that Apple copying the design validates it, but I think it does give them, those designers another quiver as these right as these elections are coming up, and there's this hey let's integrate more traditional functionality back into GNOME. Right as all of that's reaching a peak, boom, Apple drops uh, Yosemite on everybody's face, and they're ripping GNOME off. And it to me seems like a signal that that is probably a good UI design direction, at least another uh, ha- another shop that is well known for its design aesthetics think so and i think that is a uh, at least a quiver in their cap or whatever you call it and i i think to them it sort of came just at the right time i think it's just an unfair um rep- representation of the break from two to three and then everybody in three is so much better no shell 3.8 was was getting so much better and then now with 312 it's quite awesome but people are still with the stigma of when it broke the first time. Yeah, it kind of feels Same like with it, Unity. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's the Unity thing all over again. Like you wrong them once, and there's no going back from that. <laughs> well, it's not. Well, the weird thing is, there's uh, basically every DE has done that. Like KDE, for example, when it switched to four, and so it hate and so many people hated it. I feel like they've recovered and now from that. Everybody though. loves. It. Yeah, I, I. But they they very carefully manage that over time. Uh, and I, Unity, I feel like that same amount of time now has passed, and Unity hasn't fully recovered from the public perception. I'm not saying whether it's right or not, but the the perception of it. Um, I think they should, like, if they could figure out a way to make the extensions universal to not break between updates, yeah, then Unity or Nobody would be the best. Desktop, yeah. hands down. Well, yeah, there's still, yeah. still a design phase right now. So as soon as they have that, the, the global aspect is they're changing so much between every version that that global aspect can't really work yet. But when they get the foundation solid to where they want it to be, they, they their goal so. is to have yeah. those global. Right. Yeah, I'm not sense. really hearing anything from board members about, you know, having some sort of plan of, like, introducing some sort of compatibility layers for, you know, extension developers and, you know, widening it to, you know, a wider developer community. It just seems to be, you know, shame our monetary backers and the people that, you know, pay us money to work on this desktop environment. So, Is it weird that I kind of feel like that the the manifesto was more like a politician style no i mean it, yeah it, it, like it, it does kind of feel like it and i kind of agree with the chat room too i i i don't follow it super closely i i haven't i haven't been there to witness the you know the push that red hat might give i i don't doubt that that is a real thing though um i just i'm not totally sure if it's a bad thing if it is a real thing and how and how bad it is it does feel like maybe it's a little bit of a politician spin too i mean hey Politicians got to spin. That's their job. It's something I'll be watching, so they'll, they'll announce the elections on June 10th. It would be interesting, A, if the elections happen and some of these folks calling for, let's call it a more conservative desktop, uh, do get elected. Will GNOME change or will it continue on its current course? And if, what, depending on what we see, that might be the long answer to this question, is Red Hat really behind what the GNOME desktop's doing, because if nothing really changes and things continue on, even though these folks get elected, then it probably would indicate that Red Hat's really the ones pulling the strings. <laughs> so we'll just have to watch and see what happens, right, Matt? Like everything else. I think seems. so. I think so. And yeah. I mean, if you actually have like a, a Star Wars moment where, you know, the democracy falls to a sound of applause or something, 
um, then I might be more concerned about it. Yeah. But yeah. I think at this point it's too early to tell. I think at this point we're basically uh, armchair quarterbacking what we don't really know. I think there's some strong candidates that are uh, going for it, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Absolutely. Uh, and that music means it's time for us to go right there, Matt. I think I think we'll put a we'll put a feather in our cap right there. Oh boy. Oh boy. Listen to that. It's getting us out of here fast. It's like the Oscars. It's like, hey guys, get off the stage. It's time for you to go. <laughs> go. Get out of here. All right, well, listen, we want you to show up on Sunday. We've got a great Linux action show planned. We've got another interview lined up, so show up on our chat room so you can ask questions live. And don't forget, the Linux Unplugged show itself is live on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted in your local time zone. And don't forget to go grab yourself a little Tech Talk today where I dug into that whole Apple ripping off the gnome, guys. Hey, Matt, have a great week. I'll see you on Sunday, okay? All right, see you then. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next Tuesday.